0: Hello, and welcome to Editor's Pick, a War Elephant podcast, episode 16. I have with me and my normal co host, Christine.
1: Hello. Hello.
0: And I also have uh, one of our longtime contributors, uh, Winston. He's part of our uh, editorial and uh, moderation staff. Hi, up. Nice to meet you. Uh, Winston, tell us a little bit about how you joined War Elephant and what it is you're interested in.
2: Well, I think, like most of us, I joined War Elephant via Quora. So via the group, and ever since then I've been hanging around the Discord, occasionally posting rants, thoughts, analysis, mostly the first. And a lot of my interests are somewhere generally in the area of national security or technology or you know, generally, political or politics in general, being the, just the group that we are. And one. So, and occasionally I also find articles and or write things that get shared within War Elephant or outside.
1: So you've been very helpful, especially in the areas of foreign policy and in economics.
2: Glad to hear it.
0: I would add academics. We've had really good conversations about that Um, on the server, which a link to join is in the description of this podcast um, and should be in the show notes if you're listening by audio. So do join.
2: And a lot of these, I would say, like, you know, have, like, the general, share the general theme of, you know, like, these are all areas where power is rooted in society. And, you know, we, as people on the right who are concerned about a concentration of power, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to, we're gonna concentrate power for ourselves. We wanted to divide it as, among as many people as possible so you know, so everybody can have a share of it. So nobody can wield it tyrannically over others. However, all of these are similar because as it be a government or for that matter, tech or academia, all of these are about how power can be concentrated and then wielded against others and used to impose upon other, others. And of course, in these times, this is a area of primary concern for all of us, but especially those of us on the right.
0: Well, something that Winston's sort of getting into is why I wanted to have him on the podcast. We had a conversation. I would say, how
2: old is it must this? Be about a year ago now. I mean, I think yeah, a year.
0: it was a long time ago. Um, the document I have that we created together uh, is from twenty nineteen, and Winston and I were talking on the yeah talking on the Discord about um, the issues of the power of the state. And we sort of booted around the idea of calling this episode the Leviathan based on um, hobbes's uh, so Leviathan. Is, yeah. Leviathan, which is a theory of the state very much rooted in the idea that order and um
2: that the is like a jungle. The world is jungle, and if you're in the jungle, you'll be eaten, and Mm -hmm. therefore you create a Leviathan to protect you from the other Leviathans so you don't get eaten. And so, you know, the thing with you know, Thomas, Thomas Hobbes is, you know, like, you know, conception of the Leviathan is that it's very authoritarian. It's like, can, so yeah, he was, a bit, he lived in during the time, a time in England when he was in front of, of the absolute monarchy. And he was saying, yeah, so we have this absolute monarchy and we, I know we step on you a lot, but we do it because we need to protect you from the bad things and the bad things in England at this time were like the Catholic church or France or, or generally some combination of those two. So it's, you know, this is not something that the Americans should like. You know, would normally refer with some kind of horror, and that's how the founders would have regarded Leviathan. It's like this is an argument for dictatorship. This is you know, what the English monarchy used to justify keeping Americans under the boot in the first place. Why are we arguing for this thing? And but the problem is that Thomas Hobbes wasn't wrong. Had got one thing completely thing right, which is that it is a dangerous world. It's full of like these, you know, these people who have like you know, malicious intentions, even if they don't think about it that way. But that is what it is is who, you know, want to collect power themselves and then use to impose on others, others. So you know, let's say right now in this particular time, one of the most powerful countries in the world is China and their dictatorship. And a lot of the political ideology behind China is that actually this dictatorship thing is pretty great. You know, like it's a very Hobbesian way of viewing the world. And uh, in order to make ourselves safe, we need to impose on you so you can't impose on us. So it's a very, so like it's very Hobbesian and, and then, so, you know, by forming their own Leviathan, they're able to impose on others. And surely, I imagine that they would think that they're doing it for their own good. But in the end, this is to the bad of everybody else who is going to be a recipient of the, of the imposition. So, you know, But then this brings us to where Thomas Hobbes originally brought up Leviathan. We are creating this Leviathan in order to you know, who protect us from their Leviathan, and, and then each Leviathan gets a little stronger, and then the other Leviathan gets stronger, and you find that you're creating your own monster that can be turned on you or yourself and to eat yourself. So it's sort of like, so that's it, so that's kind of you know, what Leviathan, what you know, the discussion I had with Ian about Leviathan comes from. Um, how can we balance these two trade-offs of security, against to other people Leviathan, especially the you know, dictatorships that have, that are going to make things work for us? With the fact that we're creating a monster that we, it's going to come back and eventually eat us, and that's still ties us back to the, the relationship between, like you know, people on the between people on the right like us in the state. Hey Jim, hey So most of us are on the right. Most of us generally have a pretty antagonistic relationship with the state. The states is the source of a lot of these terrible ideas that mostly make our lives worse. For instance, you have these things like things like just to go back to the previous year alone, the state imposes all these regulations on how you can create medicines and how fast you can distribute them. And we found out that a lot of this is probably kind of overrated because, um, it, because we have, we swept it aside so fast once we realized um, there was a scenario where we've had to get it out as soon as possible. So the state has this, um, so we don't have a really have a good relationship with the state. We don't really think highly of the things they do and who. But at the same time, and the fact is that uh, when um, I and mean, we have, we're faced with external threats, not not only in the now, but also in the past, like, such as you know, in the founding of America, I mean, there was the external threat from Britain, then there was the external threat from Britain again in the War of 1812, then the Civil War, again, that well, was more of an internal threat, but then there were the World Wars, and every single one of these events led to a massive increase in the power of the state. For example, the permanent army came from the War of 1812 because they realized, wow, we can't just bring up the, you know, raise the militia every time a foreign power comes knocking because, the militia isn't very even well-trained at all. It's a part-time army, and it didn't do very well against the full-time army of Britain. Then the world wars came around, and that brought us to a military-industrial complex. And then, then now there's just permanent, it, well, I don't really like the term deep state, but you know, deep state, which is, you know, just exists perfect, permanently to protect us ostensibly from the Soviet Union or the Nazis. And then that's and now we've created our own Leviathan to protect us from the external threats. And this is something that. In the grand scheme of things, as conservatives concerned about concentration of power, we should be concerned about. But then why are we But end of it? So now we have, we realize that we need these things in order to protect us from the the outside powers. And now we need to figure out how we can balance this with liberty, because that is what liberty is. The freedom to not be imposed upon by these concentrations of power that we've created for ourselves. And that, in short, is the fury of the Leviathan. I mean, it's just more of a starting, a jumping off point. So. Uh, do we prioritize the security assets Because it's still relevant right now because we're, you know, we're moving back into the event of to Cold War 2.0 of China because um, we need to protect the uh, American way of life from dictatorship. And so I mean, how much power do we want to give the state in order so they can prosecute the Cold War with China? Now, if, do we want to give a lot? Can we be sure that this won't be used to turn around and, and backfire on us? After all, some of the tools that we're going to use to protect, to prosecute new Cold War, like intelligence counterintelligence is going has backfired or that was a very big controversy with Russia Gate. could you be assured that the tools that are being used to protect americans from china aren't going to be used to persecute americans in russia gate 2.0 so that's those are the big questions that underlie the leviathan discussion that i believe we're all here to discuss now
0: yeah um Why don't we break that down a little bit into a couple of um, objections that I would foresee. Now, I am pretty much on board myself with what you say. But a lot of people on the right are very much in an isolationist attitude or mode these days. And they will say that we have spent the last 60 to 70 years playing World Cop with very little to show for it. Um, As I said, I don't hold this opinion, but um, I would be interested to hear what you think in terms of the question of, without global support, what is the incentive for the United States to continue in their attempts to maintain a liberal order against a world
2: that doesn't want it uh so there's two things i would have ways answers that i would give this question so firstly regarding the world Cup criticism it is completely absolutely objectively 100 correct world cop has been an absolute disaster for americans and so i know this isn't like not something that you agree with but in terms of the amount of blood and treasure spent in iraq and and that's just the most recent example it's just like it would be very hard to justify having spent over a trillion dollars and thousands of American lives and tens of thousands of Iraqi lives in pursuit of them of, um, and building democracy in Iraq. Because because even if you accepted the basic premise that um, building democracy in Iraq was a would, was a worthwhile pursuit of American policy goal to pursue, it, it's very hard to justify um, that relative to the cost that America paid to try to do this and not only you know, paid to pursue it, but paid unsuccessfully to pursue it. And when conservatives say we want to pull back, we don't want to spend a blood and int- and not just conservatives, but also many people on the left on the left as well say that we want to pull back. We don't want to waste money on this kinds of this kinds of pointless adventurism anymore. Well, they're not wrong. Most people would be very very hard to justify by things like Iraq or Afghanistan now because there has, just hasn't been very much to show for it. If Iraq and Afghanistan were vibrant democracies now, there would be, but they aren't. So,
0: well, just we to. Are. Just to push back from my own perspective now, couldn't you say that I, I'm actually completely in agreement on the Afghanistan issue. I think we should have gotten in and out as soon as possible. But
2: as soon as being Laden was dead.
0: Right. Um, well, I think we should have gotten in and out much sooner than that. But I guess Osama's death would have been a perfect reason to withdraw. But I think that our withdrawal from Iraq created the vacuum that led to the rise of ISIS. And if we had withdrawn from Afghanistan and stayed in Iraq instead, since Iraq, at least from my perspective, seemed to be shaping into a much more functioning democracy, don't you think that would not have been foreign adventurism, but actually would have been establishing a place for democracy?
2: had worked out, then uh-huh. it wouldn't have been adventurism. It would have been American foreign policy success. And maybe if we'd done that, it would have been... And never have not forfeit, but that didn't end up happening. So and it's impossible right, but I would argue that it was our body's
0: incompetence rather right. than um, necessarily Bush's failure. Right.
1: Well like, and, and you draw a critical distinction there too when you when you say that if the if the policies had worked, if the 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 prosecution of our military endeavors had worked out, that then it would have been American policy interest, but because they didn't work out, it's adventurism. So uh, to me, it seems like intent is also important. I, I might be missing something here.
2: Well, intent that we can be sure will actually work. If it, I mean, like we didn't notice it in 2003. We thought it was going to work in 2003 and it didn't. And we spent a lot of money and lives that ended up not going to any good purpose. But and it, I did say all this with the intention of ending it with a but. So, you know, because I'm about to refute everything I just said about Iraq and Afghanistan, at least partially. This time, it really is different. And that's where I was going with this, actually. Because, you know, the thing is that, like, Iraq and Afghanistan were, like, very small, minor countries in the middle of the Middle East. And ultimately, if you could have argued fairly well that America would have been fine if had not intervened in, had there not been any intervention in Iraq and Afghanistan, maybe it wouldn't have turned, maybe it would have been, network, been passing up an opportunity, but ultimately it wouldn't have been like catastrophic if America had intervened there. But the thing is, Neo Cold War of China is actually an existential problem because if someone is going to come up out on top, it will be either America or China, and then they'll have more or less a free hand to say that this is, these are going to be the values that the rest of the world is going to follow by. So what I'm arguing here really is that Unlike Iraq, unlike Afghanistan, China is an existential issue comparable to like the Soviet Union or Nazi Germany during World War Two or the Cold War or so in this case, it really is different. And for this reason, it, and that's why it matters that the US as soon as it takes up the China challenge, whereas it would not have been existential for Iraq or Afghanistan. So that's where I'm going with the whole Leviathan thing. This time it's different. We might, we didn't need the, le- the Leviathan, maybe shouldn't have existed to you know, prosecute Iraq or Afghanistan, but it needs to exist now to prosecute China. And so this is like, so this is something that, of course, people who aren't really on board with this whole, the big state should exist in order to fight this outside ex- existential threat, it might necessarily, necessarily get on board with, like a lot of people are going to be thinking well, gee, I don't. It was if it was hard to build a democracy in Iraq. Why are we going to try to do this in China? Why are we even just going to, like, you know, pen up China in China and keep them from influencing other countries? Does it matter to the American people to the average American, if China is like, you know, is invading Taiwan or trying to influence Germany or building all these new mines and factories in Africa to get their hands under natural resources and stuff? Why is all this stuff relevant to American interests? And so the answer to that question is that unlike Iraq and Afghanistan, this time it matters because um, as, uh, losing the field of seeing the field of you know, losing Africa, losing parts of Europe, losing you know, places like Taiwan would be actually catastrophic to American interests. Because if America lost Iraq, then that would be a blow to American prestige, and it would prove that there is you know, some corner of the earth where America's writ didn't reach. That's not the case with China. It would actually lead to America being shunned down to second place and American values being shunted down to second place. So it matters more this no. time.
1: Winston, and there's, there, there's two, there are a lot of people, I'm sorry, go ahead Ian.
2: There's two
0: specific areas that I wanna highlight that I have been aware of for a couple months that China is um, making serious goal uh, strides in uh, and America is not. Um, one of those is monetary policy. Um, the American dollar is extremely weak for stupid reasons. So during the Bush years, President George W. Bush deliberately kept the dollar weak so that we'd have a good trade relationship with a lot of people. So that wasn't like too dominant. Now the dollar is weak because of our massive inflation problem. And China has made serious attempts to buy up um, hard currency, gold and other precious metals to back uh, the yuan in what most people probably think is an attempt to displace the dollar as the world currency Oh yeah
2: that's there's also
0: also there's also a nuclear problem in that a lot of countries in the developing world are attempting to become nuclearized whether for military or for simple power generation because the us still is unable to support nuclear even though it would be environmentally and economically to our advantage both in our territories and in the world um the china is assisting with infrastructure and expertise developing countries to nuclearize their power grids if we were doing that we would be enhancing our ties we would be making the environment better which is something the ridiculous paris accord is supposed to be doing but instead we're focusing on everything that doesn't help the environment um, but we're we're on both monetary policy and on on nuclear power generation. We are falling behind, and China is stepping up to fill that place. And this is not foreign adventurism. This is stuff that we could do as a trade and economic partner and um, a, an ally to these countries. And I think it is shameful that the U.S. is not doing this.
2: You've you spread to a really great point. Sorry, uh,
1: Christine. I, I actually had a, a question on that, and that is we... You said that uh, you know we're we're in the danger of losing U.S. dominance in values and in currency. Now, to the people who are listening to this who haven't maybe thought about it, what is that going to mean for the daily life of Americans?
2: So that so both of your questions are actually interrelated with each other, and I'd say our best answer together. So you understand, that, like that when i talked about how oh, the rise of China, it's not good for America because America will lose their predominance. And some people would think, you know, it's it sucks to not be number one, but that how bad could it possibly be being number two? Number two is still number two out of 190 different countries. Is that going to be even really terrible? And then and a lot of people are going to to join to to dovetail with what Ian said are going to be thinking. So why is it America's business to be you know, building nuclear power plants in Angola or India or wherever? Or why, you know, why do they Why did he have to be you know, doing? We have to be spending American taxpayer dollars doing this stuff, but for that matter. Or is it a really you know, it's a, such a bad thing if the U.S. currency dollar isn't the worst reserve currency? Even why does it matter if? if my, a lot of the, like, of the people who maybe some of the people who listen to our podcast are going to be thinking well that's been that the fed does i don't really like the fed why do we have in, this uh, this activist monetary policy in the first place just leave it to the markets." so that's going to be a, a big criticism that i'm going to anticipate is going to be coming to both these ends because things that you described ian are examples of the kind of big government that most conservatives aren't really a fan of know so people are going to be even asking, so why do we do this in the first place? And if, if and if, if we're not and if why why do we want to be number one in the first place? And to be honest, the answer to that is why we want to be number one is because that enables to do us to do those things. For example, two, we say we're the ones who are going to be telling you how to build nuclear and what you can't do if you're nuclear. And we're the ones whose currency is the reserve currency that everybody does their contracts in. So that's the reason why we want to be number one. But haven't really answered why we want to be number one, and the reason for it is is because we're we exist in a world where America is you know, the biggest player, but not the majority player. Where America you know, population is something like one twentieth of the whole, I'd say, I believe, and America's GDP is one fifth of the whole. So America that makes America the most important player, but it's not they're not the most um, the dominant player. That means that um, when America speaks, people follow usually, but not always, and um, but that also means that but it, but because the best player is still only about one-fifth the whole, that means that the, the, do, the globally dominant player event is never going to be even someone who just happens to have all the power. It's someone who assembled a coalition of different powers and then brought it all together and then never used that to spread their values to the rest of the world. That's, of course, what America has been doing since 1945, you know, spreading the values of liberalism, democracy, freedom to the rest of the world. And so by doing this, America has made more of the world like America and ensured, more importantly, that none of these other powers who might not have been open to democracy and freedom and stuff beforehand aren't going to join some kind of coalition that's going to be even. Actually, we think these values are better. We're going to impose them on you. And, these could, and for most of the Cold War, this was communism. And for in China's case, this is generic brand authoritarianism. We believe that this democracy thing is really stupid and we're going to impose to move you know, evangelized dictatorship instead. We don't want to people who support communism or dictatorship to get to fifty one percent of the world because then that would give them put them in the leading position and then they would be able to say, hey, all right, all of these smart people are going to evolve adopt a dictatorship. And because as I said, now that we have that much of the world, our values are default and people are going to gradually move away from from that. And it would be really tempting to say, but does that really matter for America? So, so what if like if Germany goes to dictatorships? What if Angola or India goes soon that way? America, even America, even with only twenty-five percent of the world's GDP and one-twentieth of the world's population and a huge barrel of nukes, can always say, "You, you, all of you people can do whatever you want." We, we're just going to do, keep doing our own thing, which is the freedom and democracy thing in America. But and it doesn't work like that. If, the other, if all the other countries you know, went to the way of communism or dictatorship, they would have 80% of the world's power. And, and at that point, America would be you know, have just become a pariah state. It would be very hard to defend you know, the system of freedom and democracy because everybody else has already gotten away. And, and it would be hard even for America to contest with the other 80% with only, 20, only 20% of the GD, global GDP America has. And that's why it's not something that's it's not a good idea for America to just say, "All of you people do whatever you want. We're just going to stay, stay here, play in our own sandbox, and hope you don't come in and try to." Well, let's stand let's, stand let's
0: talk a table. little bit. Let's talk a little bit about stuff that might have hit the news recently. Um, there have been a lot of accusations um, from both political parties for the last two presidential election cycles that Russia and China uh, influenced who won the presidential election in a significant way. Um,
2: no, no, I'm not going I to take heard- a on that specifically, but um, it is a, a, another good point you bring up that. Um, just the fact that uh, we, have, we can protect ourselves physically doesn't mean that we're going to protect ourselves uh, ideologically because um, these ideas can still reach in and they're more convincing if they're backed by more power. And in fact, China has been able to, for example, you may have heard about the Houston Rockets or say, Even as of the censorship of um, China China critics on social media. So just because uh, we can defend ourselves physically doesn't mean we can defend ourselves ideologically and and imagine how much more influential China would be if she could muster 80% of the world's GDP, instead of just the 15% she has right now to force people to get in line.
1: So Winston, let's clarify for our listeners. What happened with the Houston Rockets?
2: Uh, yeah, so right about when the Hong Kong protests were taking place, you know, in 2019, there was an incident where Daryl Morey, yeah, him that that's his name, and the manager for Houston Rockets posted a tweet in support of Hong Kong. And then in China, where the NBA has a very big fan base, he sent a, a message to the Houston Rockets saying, get rid of this guy or you won't be really sorry. So they got rid of Daryl Morey and there was a huge shitstorm about it on social media. And then the Houston Rockets got banned from China anyhow, so just... Instead, because you've got to kick someone when they're down or something like that. And it just went to show that even if you've just completely abandoned the notion that, that we only need to protect ourselves from China, we don't need to care about what the rest of the world does. Well, this is just not transparently not true, because so long as China is very powerful and committed to a foreignitarianism, those two together, then she she can also still reach into America and then say, yeah, you have to do this. And it, you don't even need to be that powerful in order to do that. You just like 15% is apparently more than enough. You don't really want to China to get to utter 65% that is not US or China aligned. And, or, you know, just like up for grabs.
0: Well, to go back to what we were saying, the US has a long history. Um, and this is not something I, as an American, I'm am particularly proud of, but we have a long history of strong arming countries. That we would consider rogue. So, you know, famous examples are things like Iran Contra and uh, various attempts to oust the Castros and a lot of influence in both Africa and South America's governmental turnovers. Uh, I think we probably also have something to do with a lot of the South Asian, um, Southeast Asian state turnovers. and that's what happens when you are close to the bottom of the totem pole. People who have power will come in and meddle with you, whether it's by hacking or propaganda or spending a lot of money through various shell corporations and donors. Right now, America is big and powerful enough that we can shrug off those attacks. So those attacks happen. Not completely,
2: um, as you could tell from I, the whole piece of writing.
0: I do not deny that Russia and China both spent some effort to influence both of the last presidential elections, but I think that neither of them were significant because we are big and strong enough that it didn't matter. If we dropped to number two, it would start to matter a whole lot more. And I think that this idea that we can just let the world take care of itself is naive. Power is a vacuum if you don't have someone holding the power someone else take it for it. you yeah. and then, and then china, china will do it we know that
1: and it's notable especially that the world wars were greatly prefaced by huge amounts of isolationism exactly
2: in i think that's it completely right because america even before the war, before world war 2 was the elephant in the room more industry than any other country on the planet besides without him america feeling devoid Mostly because America renounced it, doing it themselves, and of course, other powers soon could were able to photo avoid, and this uh, tragically turned out to be you know, Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan, who had less than benevolent designs on everyone else.
0: And again, um, I'm trying to to show that I don't have illusions about U.S. foreign policy um, or our domestic policy. It's not that, even though I believe we have the best system that so far has been seen in history, that we make no mistakes, that our, our, our mistakes are sometimes even ill-motivated. Um, I mean, you just have to look at what FDR did turning away Jewish refugees during World War II, or, or up his Japanese, Japanese, his own citizens. Um, so the U.S. is no paragon. But I think if you look at what the U.S. has done and does compared to what China has done and does, Yes, the US has slavery. China has within living memory the Great Leap Forward which cost 50 million of its own citizens their lives.
2: It if you still, still think has, it can get worse it can always get worse. Yeah. Um and, so and,
1: and, and they still have concentration camps and forced yeah. labor. Well, I don't know, so, slavery.
2: You know they're, I think like they're people actually people. picking cotton as slaves. Like there's some kind yeah. of historical irony there if you
1: want to I, I was trying to use
0: Problem that uh, China is suppressing brutally and un- unethically uh, in the extreme. Uh, Native... It's a
2: tragic thing because there's over a billion people there who are being oppressed in some forms. Some more than others. Some get camps, and some others just get hmm, a diva silence from being able to talk out. but hmm, Even if in the absence of, hmm, is this bad for America or not? This was also a huge moral crime against over a million, over a billion people, which in itself is something that hmm, you know we should regard as being absolutely abominable.
1: And China has, in my lifetime, participated in, in aiding the violent overthrow of, of peaceful governments and, and helping uh, people wind up in terrible, terrible conditions in their own countries. I, I'm thinking here especially of Cambodia. You know, I'm, I'm old enough to know this is not ancient history.
2: Oh, yeah. Actually, I actually was reading an article just recently about how you know, back in the 90s, you know, so this is right after the Kumar Rouge, which had the odd feature of you know, having been backed by both China and the US for reasons that made sense at the time. I'm um, like, because Nixon fought it, you know, could be a proxy against Vietnam. It was a weird time. He also, because he was also the president who went to China in the first place, is for a historical tidbit. And like, so in the 90s, they, they just have genocided a quarter of their population for un, unknown reasons. So the UN went in, tried to fix things, and failed miserably. Hey, people thought they were going to become a democracy. Damn, right now their dictatorship is uh, one of the most brutal in Southeast Asia. It didn't work. The UN turned out to not be exactly equal to the task.
1: The UN's not equal to a well. lot of tasks. <laughs>
2: yeah, you're As whatever, conservatives, right. we you don't really
0: think the UN is equal.
1: You know, like, and, and that's the thing. So so they accuse the United States of meddling and going in their own. But the motives of some international bodies can be highly suspect as well because they are far more egalitarian in their representation than basically our economic and military might make us in the overall world action. And, and I well, think that the influence of the United States in the U.N., could go a long way toward pointing us towards some of the dangers we would have if you just listen to the way that they talk about us.
2: Yeah, it's something I think Americans don't realize. Because- Speaking of
0: the United Nations, I think that we need to remember that um, China is now on the Human Rights Council of the United Nations.
2: It says a lot, doesn't it?
0: Um, And they have spent There are times, and this was very recent, I think last couple of years that they were um, appointed to the Human Rights Council. They've spent that time trying to argue that our civil rights struggles with uh, George Floyd last year and the police brutality indicates that the US is actually the primary violator of human rights in the world when they have literal concentration camps in their own country focused
1: on a racial and religious minority. And a lot of people believe that they really believe it, and a lot of American isolationists are actually repeating these same lines, which just astounds me.
2: Like, it's like stuff like, how can you possibly be concerned about other countries' human rights when you have things like these kind of police fan protests? I mean, like, but you know, none of these people end up in camps. It's like not in the same, you know, like spectrum, even the same order of magnitude. But one thing i wanted to get to too, is that uh, so we seem to have spent about half our time so far so one thing which i did want to get to try to point home with is if it, not only is the u.s not by far not the worst human rights violator in the world not even close to it and never not only are the people who are in second place and trying to get to first probably much worse and going to inflict the same horror show on everybody else so how so why does that what does it have to do with the whole five Lefif- Lefif- thing i didn't talk about earlier so well, well, we, uh, what do we, uh, we expect you uh, you uh, as citizens and taxpayers and and others uh, to be doing about it? So, and that's uh, where I got to where you know, the genesis of the whole Leviathan conversation in the first place is because one thing you could do is that you could go on podcasts and then talk about how terrible and awful these things are and then sign off and then continue about your day. But another thing that would be even, a lot of what we've been discussing has been impl- has been talked about in terms of uh, for example the war against Nazi Germany during World War II or the Cold War against the Soviet Union it implicitly re- suggests that we should be doing some kind of you November know, big, big of a statement you know, doing these these big state actions in order to try to um, prevent uh, and to admit to this a uh, horrible scenario from taking place and um, implicit to this even though and it', it takes a vein of stuff like oh the government should be doing X about this it should be say, banning the import of goods that were made by slaves, it should be doing a big military build up to make sure that we don't, that China doesn't annex it to their neighbors or something in which they are planning to do as they keep talking about Taiwan. Um, so what do we want to do about this? Well, we should build up the military in order to defend against them and then prevent Taiwan from being invaded. That's a pretty easy sell. And I'd say a lot of people listening to this chat and even on a lot of the isolationists would say this is the easiest sell. because the military is a popular institution, including him on the right. And as a result, oh, it's not such a hard sell to say we should have more Tim, more ships, more tanks, more bombers in order to deter any of the PLA from crossing the Taiwan Straits and invading Taiwan. But still the, what's the harder sell is that is countering is, that, is that struggling for influence in the globe and preventing the or show that we described in the first half of this, Podcast from taking place is probably not going to involve, mostly not going to, going to involve uh, tanks and ships and bombers. It's because um, let's think about like, you know, different things, bad things we want to prevent. We want to prevent espionage. We want to prevent um, the Chinese government from forcing US companies to fire people for expressing support for democracy. We want um, to prevent um, the industry from being you know, taken away from America and, um, and sent to China. And those are all things that are. Or like, that are not being that can't be even prevented with ships or tanks or bombers. They have to be prevented using, using other actions. You need, you need our own. We need our own spies to figure out who the spies here are. We need have some intelligent and industrial policy to prevent to ensure that the industry stays here and not overseas. We need need to move to go back to the examples that Ian brought up not too long ago. Movement that we need to make sure that the people who are building nuclear power plants for in these other countries are Americans and not Chinese, so that, um, that uh, we can ensure that they're not being uh, put to some malign purpose. We need to move and make sure that uh, telecom networks globally are being uh, made by friendly uh, countries and not by uh, hostile countries, and all this is stuff that's even uh, suggests that we're going to be um, even creating uh, these uh, bigger and bigger roles for governments. So we have a pretty good illustration of what, so of what I've described earlier was that recently I saw on Twitter actually, they basically, there was a publication of a little over 200 actions taken by the Trump administration just in last year alone to prevent these kinds of things from happening. They want to do things like prevent them and they have the Chinese banks from buying up American industry and shipping it overseas. They want to move ensure that investment in over in other countries, it belongs to America and not China. So that the benefits accrue to America. They want to, to ensure that that um, whenever China does do bad things, um, sanctions um, are put in response to so that China can't benefit from these. They want to ban the slave-made goods from becoming, being sold in America. And it, So I looked at the list, and of those um, the 220 actions that he described in, um, as having been done, 22 were actually done by... Wait, not 22. I think it's actually... 24, yes, that were done by the Department of Defense. That's like, that's only 10% of it. And that uh, speaks to what I'm getting at here is that this is, as the Trump administration would want to describe it, an all of government effort. We need all these different agencies to do it because there are some things that can't be done by simply weapons, weapons or the military. We have to. And that includes stuff like. Encouraging the industry to develop here, and in, in, in protecting us from foreign influence or keeping out slave-made goods. So, and this brings us back to Leviathan, because the role of Leviathan. Because when we do all these things, we're creating our own Leviathan. That in order to protect the freedoms we have ex- now, But we're giving all these powers over to government in order to ensure that safety, that freedom and democracy and safety can continue to flourish in America. So that's a big trade off we're having. So when we say, so when the government says you can't buy these goods which were made by slaves in China, you know, well, that's giving the government the power to say you can't buy X product. And it's done for a good reason, a very good reason, but it's still a precedent that you're giving the government and you hope, you really hope it's not going to be turned internally at some point. And you do, it, you when the government says you can't have access TikTok in America anymore because it's being used as a tool of foreign influence, well, that's all true. And it probably is right in the present, but at the same time, we're we want to make sure this doesn't get, to, say, turned to movement apps domestically that just happen to have fallen out of favor of the government. Well, actually, it's a bit. Oh, you mean
1: bad. like like parlor?
2: Yeah, frankly? actually, that's what I was <laughs> getting at. It's like, so I mean, we'll you know, say it blankly,
1: blankly, baldly because that's very disturbing. That and there's there's calls. Um, I was watching a podcast of Sam Harris actually with with. General McChrystal or listened to it. And they were actually arguing that conservatives needed to be stopped from talking to each other at all.
2: And that's the kind of Because
1: the danger presented by conservatives to the American government was so high that if they talked to each other, then they would further radicalize. And they actually compared us to Al Qaeda.
2: Does anybody ever remember when Sam Harris was supposed to be like some kind of paragon of free thinking? Like good times, right? When was
1: that? Yeah, it wasn't that long ago, you know, Uh, like two months. As people
2: from the
0: (laughs) Christian demographic, even if we're not necessarily all still Christian, I think we all know that Sam Harris is a reactive thinker rather than necessarily a free thinker.
2: And that's what I'm getting at, you know, because. Sure, this was technically done by the private sector, and therefore, it's not the business of government or wherever. But once you establish the precedent that it's okay to ban an app, then this was a much easier sell. Well, because we banned TikTok because it's being made of, made by bad people and being used to do bad things. But now people are using marginally the same arguments against Parler. Does that mean that we shouldn't have banned TikTok? Or does it mean that we should have, been, or and this is what I actually think, we should have made it of a much clearer definition and ensured that the tools that could be used to ban TikTok couldn't be he then turned internally and then used to ban Parlor because it's not a good argument that, oh, you can you shouldn't have banned TikTok because then it would, there would have been ground to stand on to ban Parlor because, firstly, it would have happened anyhow. And secondly, because that is not to mean that TikTok was a good thing. It was probably going to be used for all kinds of bad things. things And so that's what I'm getting at is that, and so we created all this power and then we accumulated it for the purpose of. Protection that we agreed had to be done because it was an urgent cause, as we discussed earlier. But at the same in time,
1: medicine,
2: it's in a defense. How, yeah, sorry. Sorry, okay.
1: uh, how would you know if uh, private corporations aren't working as agents of the government anyway? Honestly, Just they probably were in this case. Coercion because, for example, the Congress has hauled Facebook up several times to testify over. Why aren't you things taking on hate speech? speech? Don't it,
2: take on hate speech, will break you up. I mean, like, and that exactly, what do.
1: and that is coercion. That is the use of coercive power by the government, and so that not only makes, or possibly not even not only quite significantly makes Facebook into an agent of the state for its very existence. And so, the argument that it's private corporations taking away rights, uh, when, when especially when they're so important as things like the freedom to communicate then you really start wondering how are they acting as an independent entity versus a government
2: agent? I, I agree completely. I think it's because like, because this is one of the other things I was getting at in Leviathan. And the, 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 the distinction between private and public is very often not a very useful distinction because as the government is perfectly capable of using private agents as its proxies, as, as I suspect might have actually happened in, in the case of Parler. So if I had to guess... I think there was probably a very significant possibility that um, uh, the Biden administration let it, that the administration let it probably be known that if if AWS and Facebook didn't get a handle on them, on on, um, the cinema app that many of them disliked Parler, there would be how to pay. And as a result, in order to avert immediate how to pay, they got some lesser how to pay from the conservatives. If so, maybe that's what went down. Maybe that's what wasn't what went down, but it seems pretty plausible in my mind. And so this is the central issue of what I'm talking about, because we've had, <clears throat> so we talk about all these just this big horse we're trying to prevent and, and how we had to give the state a lot of power to do this. But the central question is how do we prevent this power from being turned internally? And in fact, there's another even blunter example we could use here. So <clears throat> again, without commenting on like the justification of this or not, I'd have recently, <laughs> after the capital rise tourism and the government moved 25,000 soldiers into DC and then established a totally ironically named green zone in the middle of Washington DC and said, yeah, it's so like, this is an absolutely not like Baghdad or Kabul at all. We're just going to put in a lot of troops and then we're going to establish a safe zone that we're going to use the same term that we used to describe the place in Iraq act that we the same term that we used to describe that place in Iraq and then say, and we will make sure that things occur peacefully here. Now, in regardless of whether you think that Biden, I mean, whether this was justified or not, the irony is pretty clear, you know, because this was a stuff that the U.S. was doing overseas in Iraq. It suddenly boomeranged and then went back to the home, into the homeland. And what went happened in Baghdad now happens in D.C. Now Leviathan turns in and starts eating its tail. So,
1: and so- McChrystal on that podcast actually said we may need to put up concrete barriers in neighborhoods to prevent conservatives from murdering their Neighbors just because they're so crazy like it was God,
2: astounding Jesus, can you, hear this? can you hear himself talk?
1: Okay, no, so they, no, I see, they, 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 that's what my reaction was in
0: Afghanistan because conservatives despite the capital city the capital riots have definitely been the ones who have been Noticed murdering and rioting and committing property damage over the last eight months
1: yeah, so but Remember like, words are violence Violence yeah. isn't violence. Burning things no, down, words. property damage isn't isn't violence,
0: but words are. How many people were killed by words in Chaz? <laughs> well, uh, we are out of time, but uh, we clearly have a lot more to talk about. So I'm gonna have Winston back again soon.
2: Well, before we uh, yeah, sign off for a yeah, moment, because we brought all this up now, I just want to like make the question more explicit. So in the immediate, we know that too, because we want to keep China from becoming the dominant power on the globe and then using that to impose their system on everyone else. We're building up this big, st- hey, give it massive state now that's 90% of the actions are not going, to, not going to be military related. It's going to be stuff like sanctions. It's going to be stuff like foreign investment. And uh, and, and there will be a military aspect, but it won't be the dominant aspect. We're building up all of this uh, infrastructure which for lack of a better term is to constrain China from being able to engage in malicious action abroad and hopefully will eventually roll back the CCP within China itself and put an end to this problem permanently by even ensuring that the CCP's dominance no longer is a thing either in China or outside China. But and if these are all coercive actions that we believe that we're convinced are going to be necessary in the next few minutes I mean not a few minutes few you know, a few decades Freudian slip because I, I know we're going to be signing off in a few minutes but also in the next few minutes so so we've put in we're going to create this massive course of infrastructure in order to ensure the long-term security of American security so but the big question we really should be asking is is it can we have once we've finished you're ensuring that the CCP is no longer a threat to global freedom and human rights. It's in the, how are we going to ensure that the massive infrastructure we put in place to ensure this doesn't get turned internally, internally, within an, a moon's turn or a decade's turn or wherever, However, people might decide. You know what? These Republicans are actually just as bad as the CCP we've created. Now let's turn this massive infrastructure we created for coercion internally and internally against these people who are engaging in wrong think. And that's a question that I want all of you who've been listening to this to be chewing on because in this podcast, we just engaged, just developed two seemingly contradictory theses. Firstly, that we need a big Leviathan in order to prevent protect us from malign actors, foreign actors. But we also need to protect ourselves from this Leviathan. And the thing I want you leaving this podcast to take away from this is, how are we gonna balance all this? How are we going to ensure that Leviathan and we'll protect us from the other Leviathans overseas, but not be turned internally in order to gobble us up in the end. And, and there's so many answers here. Like my own answer is going to be, we need this Leviathan now, and we really need it yesterday. So for a moment, we have to build it up in order to prevent, to defend against the immediate threat. And then we'll cross the bridge of how we prevent it from gobbling us up internally later. But I want you all to think about this too. You know, you know, chewing on it, you need to chew on it, to be able to, so that we can approach this, this contradiction, this paradox, intelligently.
0: Well, I think that um, that's a really good thought to leave us on. And my own contribution to that is, um, a lot of uh, what prevents the Leviathan from becoming normalized in our own um, governmental domestic actions will be the consent of the governed. Um, right now, there's this attitude of learned helplessness in American life, uh, the victim mentality on the on the left and the right. And I would say that, yes, we are more afraid that the government will say, oh, the Republicans are a problem. But I would be just as opposed to state actions being taken to jail, normal Democrats or normal Democrat politicians. Um, so I think that the way we can work now, even as we are trying to spool up a Leviathan apparatus to fight the CCP, is to maintain the reason we're fighting it is because we believe in freedom. We believe that we need some um, coercive power that is available for radical actions. But it's in the service of preserving freedom for people like the Hong Kongers or the Uyghurs, or You know, all of the all of China's neighbors. If we become the same as the CCP in the way we treat our own people, then we we haven't
2: haven't fought this for we did all this for nothing. Yeah.
0: An American Communist Party, whether it's called the American Republic of Freedom or not, is no better than the Chinese Communist Party. So Thank you, Winston, for joining us. We're definitely going to have you on again, because I definitely want to get your thoughts on academia and um, uh, productivity. We've got a a really good essay that I want you to elucidate on productivity um, in the next couple of months. So thank you for joining us, Christine and Winston. Yep, Um, glad to be here. I will see you guys next week. And I think we are going to keep our podcast on Sunday, though hopefully not quite as late. Yeah, we'll try
2: to make it a little bit earlier. Yeah, nine thirty, ten thirty. Wow, yes, a pretty it's pretty late.
1: All right. Okay. Have a great yeah. night. Have a yep. great week. And we'll see we see everyone who watches next week. Thank you for watching. Bye.